3: Hello. Good evening. Good morning. Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Forza Italian football podcast. It's a new year, but we're still here. Um, I'm Connor Clancy, as always, and joining me from down in Australia, Vito Dori. Vito, welcome along.
4: Yeah. Thank you, Connor. Um, happy New Year to you, everyone else at Fif, and also our listeners. Um, as for me personally, glad to be back on the pod, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, not. It's not the best time for. The country I call home at the moment with the bushfires and yeah just trying to stay indoors as much as I can
3: yeah it's we were speaking about this a little bit off air before we come on Vito but do you want to just fill people in on the kind of experience you're having down there because obviously you are what 300 kilometers away from where the fires are but it's, it's still impacting your daily yeah. life
4: yes well I live in Victoria which is in the southeast of Australia one of the main states but the bushfires have impacted on Victoria and New South Wales. So a lot of country towns have been evacuated. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of wildlife has, uh, you know, been killed. Unfortunately, they've suffered burns. So they've been affected just as much as human beings. And because of these fires even come from interstate, they're filtering through to Melbourne and it's causing a smoky haze in the air. And even if you step outside for a few minutes, you do get some irritation unfortunately
3: it is absolutely horrendous to see what's going on in there um i think i saw something like a billion animals have been killed which is a phenomenal number and then as i said to you offered that comparing it to the size of the area affected to the size of the country i'm from in Ireland, and it's basically the same size as the entirety of the island but um there's a lot of fundraising going on obviously so i, I would encourage anyone that's listening to this to Donate what you can afford to to all of the, the relief efforts happening down there. But um we're here for a reason, Vito, and that is to talk about Serie A, because it's back in twenty twenty and it's back with a bit of a bang. There were some big results this weekend. Only one of the games didn't see any goals scored. Um I was there. It was one of my two games this weekend. But we'll start, shall we, with Napoli Inter. Um League leaders Inter went down to the Stadio San Paolo and they won 3-1. And Antonio Conte's side can feel like they kind of executed the perfect game plan
4: in Naples. I think it's uh, more than fair to say that. Most of the time, Inter were defending deep and keeping rather compact. And it seemed that it was really just Lukaku and Lautaro Martinez doing most of the attacking for the Nerazzurri. Uh, Ronald Lukaku, in particular, had a fantastic game with two goals, and just defensively, I think uh, it didn't matter how much possession Napoli had; they looked rather predictable, and Inter were able to cope with whatever attacking threats were thrown at them quite
3: easily. Yeah, I suppose Inter were kind of gifted the opener, right, because Di Lorenzo had a slip and it didn't quite go to Flandre and Napoli from there because then I think it was Lukaku's second goal right where it kind of went through Alex Merritt um, which isn't ideal for them and then those two goals are the margin that Napoli lost by but can we talk about Romelu Lukaku please because when he first came to Inter I remember thinking I'm not quite sure how he'll get on on an individual level but I I'm sure that him and Lautaro Martinez will strike up a really good partnership, and so it's proven. But Lukaku is—he's just blowing everyone out of the water. He's—he's he's a phenomenon. And people still say that he's not a good striker. He's not a, a world-class striker. Um, am I missing something? Because he so obviously is.
4: I believe that it's a narrative that a lot of people are running, especially from, let's say. EPL fanboys, British pundits and uh, Manchester United fans in particular, I think with Red Devil supporters, they would really feel aggrieved because he was rather disappointing at their club. But I think he was also made a huge scapegoat as well. Then, of course, there's that other narrative where he's not a big game player. So it's a stigma that's been placed on him for quite some time. Otherwise, he's... A rather consistent striker when he's utilized properly, and he's shown that in Inter so far. It just brings back memories of, you know, his performances for Belgium, what he did at both uh, West Bromwich Albion and Everton. So the talent's definitely there. He's got the pace and the strength, and although he does come across come across as awkward in his movement, he is a player that still knows how to find the back of the nets. And for a player like him, that's what truly matters
3: most he gets that not being a big game player thrown at him quite often right but this season he scored in the derby against Milan and he scored two away to Napoli after Juventus had won earlier in the day to get Inter back on top and they're big games right and he's as you alluded to he's done it at West Brom Everton Manchester United all gradual steps up and now you could argue the step from United to this Inter team is another step up again because now he's he's leading a team in a, in a title challenge. And I think if if he can keep up this form and help Inter to the Scudetto or even if he can keep up this form and Inter fall short eventually but Lukaku gets, what, 30-odd goals, he's done his job. And I don't think that accusation of him not doing it when it really matters can be thrown at him anymore. Um, but... But then he, he does still have the occasional game, like we saw against Barcelona, where he'll miss a couple of chances. Is it just that he's not quite as um, how do you say, like, as cold-blooded as some strikers that we've seen in this area in the past? Like, I don't know, Filippo Onzaghi, even Andrei Shevchenko, right? You get the feeling. If they get one chance, they'll score. it. With Lukaku, you don't necessarily have that same feeling.
4: No, and I think that's another reason for the stigma attached to him. If he can do that for Inter, I think it would be helpful for them in the desire to win the Scudetto. And regardless if they take the Europa League for the second half of this season, perhaps, you know, for future European campaigns, if he develops that sort of coldness in front of goal or just that clinical ability in the big games, I think it would do great for his reputation. And of course um, it would be beneficial for Inter as a team as they try to re-establish themselves as both a power in Italy and Europe now and in the long run. Do
3: you think Lukaku like is benefiting from, from not being the striker this season? Because at United he was very much, he's the number nine, right? He wears the number nine out at Inter, but It's not in the role that we see in basically every team nowadays. He's playing in a a strike partnership, which is not a very common thing anymore. I know some other teams are trying to play a variation of 4-4-2 this season around Europe. But Inter's strike partnership is something that I'm trying to think about now. But I don't think there's another example of it in Europe's top five leagues at, at the very, very top level
4: not uh, not so much these days uh, strike duos seem to be a thing of the 90s and 2000s recently especially throughout the 2010s we saw a lot of usage of 4231 and the 433 formation so the need for two strikers regardless if they're true center forwards or they are the more mobile types uh, they seem to be more or less a rarity In Italy, though, uh, uh, striking duos are not necessarily the norm, but they're more common than in other football nations. Conte, in particular, has been fond of the 3-5-2 in recent years or throughout his career at big clubs. So, uh, in a way, it makes sense for him to use two strikers. And I think that having this uh, formation takes pressure off him and it makes it harder for opposition defenders as well.
3: We don't always look ahead to games coming up. But next weekend, Inter play Atalanta at home. And they'll be without Niccolò Barella. And who's the other one missing? Milan Scrinja. Atalanta scored five goals again today. um, Today being Monday. They beat Parma. Meaning they ended 2019 with a 5-0 win over AC Milan. And they started 2020 with a 5-0 win over Parma. Should Inter be fearful? of this Atalanta team, because they score goals for fun. What They've got 46 in Serie A this season, in 18 games. I mean, that's phenomenal. Well,
4: with Inter, they are a very strong team defensively, so I expect them to put up more of a fight, and more than anything, just have better organisation than both AC Milan and Parma. Uh, But That being said, there have been a couple games where we have seen the Inter of old, more so in the European fixtures, where they have squandered leads or they have not been able to build upon leads. So if there's uh, one team that's going to punish Inter for any complacency if they've got a lead, it's Atalanta. I wouldn't be surprised if Atalanta concede early against Inter and they make some silly lapses. But Atalanta, one of those teams in Italy that genuinely play for the full 90 minutes, so even if Inter get a one or two goal lead, Atalanta will stick to their guns, persist with their philosophy, and they might be able to nick a few goals themselves and if uh, they pull off a stunning comeback win, um, the way this Atalanta team plays, it shouldn't be a surprise, so yeah, I don't expect uh, Inter to have it too easy, but even if Atalanta might have an initial false sense of security. I'm sure they can turn things around even when things might seem the bleakest.
3: Yeah, this is a game that... It's it's next Saturday night's game. European time, quarter to nine. Um, whatever you're doing next Saturday night, cancel it. Watch this game because it's going to be fun. I think there will be a lot of goals. I think you're right, Vito, because Atalanta's defence is it's quite comical sometimes in that they don't really bother with it they kind of think ah, oh, yeah go have your few goals we'll we'll just come back anyway go 3-0 up we don't care and uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if Inter raced into an early lead and um, maybe went in at halftime 2 or 3-0 up and then things went a bit crazy in the second half but I'm probably putting a curse on it now so sorry but I definitely think there are going to be goals in that game um so if you don't watch it and there are goals Don't say I didn't warn you. The FIF pod tried to help you enjoy your Saturday evening. So if you don't take our advice and you lose out, it's it's your own problem, I guess. But speaking of Atalanta, they they beat Padma 5-0. And there there wasn't a bad goal in this game. Alejandro Gomez opened the scoring with another incredible strike. This time with his left, showing that it doesn't matter what foot you show him onto, he'll pick out the top corner. Um, Remo Froyler exchanged a nice little one-two with Gomez for the second. Robin Gosens played a game of keepy-uppies with a loose ball before smacking it in and then, and then well, Josip Ilicic, oh my god. That volley he scored is one of the most satisfying goals you'll see. He was inside the box, right? So it's maybe not as eye-grabbing or as attention-grabbing as it might have been, but it was like a a rocket. It just went boom into the top corner, and that would have just carried on probably all the way back to Parma had it not hit the net. Atalanta, you just run out of superlatives for them.
4: Absolutely, uh, the way they've been playing uh, this year, you know, just like other years, they really know how to put teams to the sword, and. Uh, unfortunately for Parma, they were the latest unlucky victims. Gomez is one of those players that you know we've said so much about already. He just he just bosses the game. He runs a lot of things offensively, but there's just so much confidence with the rest of the team on the ball. Uh, Papu Gomez did score that stunning goal, and then of course Illichich to sum things up, yeah, just two lovely goals. The volley you just mentioned, and then he just strides in and elegantly wiggles through those defenders for the fifth. He's just one of those mercurial talents that he can be frustrating when he's an off or having an off day, but on his good days, you just want to appreciate the moment and just see and look at, you know, this guy, when he's on form, is a delight to watch. And that's what he
3: was. You got to point out This against Palmer too. Um, I <laughs> know it's quite, excuse me, it's quite easy to say, oh, look, Parma or Parma, right? They're, they're a middling Serie A side. But before this game, they had only conceded 20 goals in Serie A. Um, put that into perspective, Juve and Lazio have only conceded 17. Uh, Roma have conceded 19. So it's a pretty good defensive record. And then they go to Bergamo and get blown away like that. It's nothing new from Atalanta either, right? They scored five against Milan. 7 against Udinese. Last season, they got 4 against the Inter, 3 against Juve in the Copa. Um, they score goals. and We're not going to go on about them because we do it a lot, but I, I, just again, that midfield too, <coughs> excuse me again, of Ramo, Freuler and Martin de Rone, so important. Um, Freuler got his goal today to get it recognized, but this was a a team, right? Uh, they've scored 48 goals this season, Sorry. And they've done that without Duban Zapata. He came back today, just in time for the second half of the season, just in time for Inter, just in time for the, the Champions League last 16. And are they going to score even more goals now that he's back?
4: I think it's a more than distinct possibility. The way, the way he played last season was outstanding. And Atalanta have coped amazingly well without him. There have been a few slip-ups, most of them in the Champions League, but I think in Serie A they've been able to stick with their way of playing. It's worked. Uh, They haven't been troubled with the lack of Zapata because uh, Luis Muriel, he's the other natural striker, and he's not always used. Musabaro could be going. So to do well without Zapata is a big bonus for them. And uh, with Zapata back, if we can regain match fitness soon, they're going to be an even more terrifying proposition for opposing defenses.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Juventus beat Cagliari 4 0. Cristiano Ronaldo started the new year with a hat trick, his first hat trick since coming to Serie A, which was quite an interesting stat. But Gonzalo going got the other. Um, Cagliari's bubble, it's. It's starting to burst, isn't it? Because they lost to Udinez before Christmas. Um, they had lost. Was it the week before that as well? Um, and then lost to Valencia. Yeah, three three defeats in a row. The the wheels are coming off a little bit there. Maybe we got a little bit too excited. I touched too soon.
4: I suppose so. They were impressive, excuse me, while well, it lasted. But in the last three games, they have played Juventus in Turin. And they played against Lazio, who've actually been surprisingly grinding out some wins this year. So uh, those two particular sides, they're not easy opposition for any team to come up against at the moment. The concerning one is losing to Udinese. And uh, Udinese, they managed to get a win against uh, Lecce this week. But uh, they're a team, Udinese, that I don't uh, fear too much. So... For Cagliari to lose to them after such an impressive uh, start to the season, I think that's quite concerning.
3: Yeah, and Cagliari were very, very poor in Udinei that day. I was up there for what was a dreadful day in terms of weather and a dreadful performance from Cagliari. But Juve under Sarri, we're almost halfway through the season. They're still joint top with Inter, both on 45 points. Um, If the season ended today... Juve will be crowned champions because of the head-to-head rule, but because that doesn't come into play until the sides have played each other twice, Inter are top-on-goal difference, but really, they're kind of not. It's a strange little quirk in Serie A, but have you been impressed by Juve this season? Because we, we always sit here and say, oh, Juve are boring, Juve aren't impressive, Juve do nothing. But they're doing things a little bit differently this year, and it's still going quite well for them.
4: I still think that with Juve, under Sarri, there's still a work in progress. But the difference, at least this is just a matter of feelings and stuff, I just believe that over time they will play that good football, so they will get the points and the victories and also add the stole on top of that. Uh, One of the things is that Sarri is a man who will stick to his guns and stick to his football philosophy, whereas Allegri, although he played, his team's played some excellent football at Cagliari 10 years ago. Uh, his Milan teams were just built to win. And at Juventus, it was the same sort of thing. The result was re- really mattered. So uh, I think with Sarri, he'll try and get his point across, try to do things his way. And I think with the personnel that he's utilizing, we will probably see that style come out a little bit more Uh, more than anything Yeah, it's time and also at the end of the day I think the players to really make his system and his uh, football ideology work properly
3: I don't know if you've been paying attention that closely but have you seen that Zlatan Ibrahimovic is back in Serie A
4: yes um, I thought this was just a whole bunch of marketing spin and uh, I thought, yeah, this was just something out of the blue. But, yeah, he's actually back, 38 <laughs> years old. And uh, it's like are just trying to get him to paper over the cracks, unfortunately.
3: Uh, yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? It's like, no, everything's not bad. Look, we've got Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um, he's 38 years old. <laughs> so I, I went along to the San Siro today because I didn't quite believe that he was back. But... I saw him play. He came on for his his second debut and <laughs> Milan immediately resorted to playing a game of find Zlatan um, <laughs> which kind of shows how shot for ideas they are because it usually goes, we'll try a Suzo. Souza, you cut in onto your left and if that doesn't work, we'll, we'll take some shots from really far out and if that doesn't work, we'll see if Teo Hernandez can find space on the left and They've got a fourth plan now, which is just to boot the ball into the big, tall striker. It's not great. They, I should say they played Sampdoria today and they drew 0-0. And they, they'll feel they should have won this, but Samp can also feel they should have won this. So I think it draws probably a fair result. And given how poor Samp were at the start of the season, does that say a lot about this Milan team?
4: I think it does, too. They ended... The last decade with that heavy humiliation against uh, Atalanta, and then to start the new year at home against a uh, disappointing Sampdoria side based on the season so far. But uh, the Blue Shirtati they managed to get a draw. Uh, Ranieri once again is helped create a more resolute team. Um, Julian uh, Chabot, he had a great game in defense. Got a lot of plaudits for his performance.
3: Was it on Souza? Souza was just about to chip um, Odeiro. And that tackle, oh my God, that was amazing. I was nearly celebrating that in the press box just because I love a last-ditch tackle like that. Oh, yeah, he was fantastic today.
0: Well,
4: that particular tackle... you know, it might be my bias, but at the same time, I don't think I've been that impressed with a tackle in quite a long time. I know that Souza is a very erratic and enigmatic footballer, but just calling the moment for its merits, I think uh, Chabot deserves praise for that.
3: Completely agree. Um, Completely agree. The San Siro went crazy when he did that tackle as well because they just assumed it was going to be a penalty. And then when it wasn't, they fused, um, <laughs> which was quite entertaining to watch. But Samp were forced into two substitutes in the first half, right? So was it? I can't remember. Yank took on and then had to go back off because there were two injuries, and Milan still couldn't get the better of them, which is quite damning.
4: Oh, it's very concerning from a Rossoneri perspective. When a team like Sump is near the relegation zone, they've been forced into changes because of injuries and they still get away with a draw. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's very yeah scary to think for Rossoneri fans. Uh, it's already been a tough time for them. And uh, I think they've joined the bandwagon of uh, people that are you know, either against the FIF or they got agenda against you on Twitter, Connor.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Milan fans don't like me too much. Nah, I don't they don't actually know why. Because when I think about it, it stems back to, well, it's been going on for a couple of years, but it, it came to a bit of a head recently when they beat Bologna, and I said that they were poor because they weren't very good, and they beat Bologna 3 2. And then people were like, how can you say that they were poor? They beat Bologna. And I think it was the week before. Uh, Teo Hernandez got that really really jammy goal at Parma where the ball bounced around the box and just fell at his feet and he scored and I said Milan were poor and the Milan fans didn't like that too much and then when Atalanta beat them 5-0 I kind of found it amusing as you might expect them they didn't take that too kindly either but no, I I don't have a problem with Milan necessarily. It's just some of their fans are quite irritating. But yeah. Continue.
4: Ultimately everything I'm a firm believer in calling a spade a spade. Uh, you no, know, it might be nice to see Milan rise up to the top again and create new memories because they have been a power horse in Ital- powerhouse in Italian football. They have that great record in Europe. But Sadly for them, it's a case of cling on to memories. And as we've discussed on previous pods, uh, it seems that they are craving for another hero, another person to turn things around. So it's like if they do something good, it's like, yeah, everything's going to be solved. We're going to be back to the top. But it's um, so the more we see. Mm, oh, it um, is.
3: I'm, quite, I'm, I'm writing about it at the moment for a piece that will be up on ForzaItalianFootball.com on Tuesday morning. And this Ibrahimovic signing, is he's come along and before the game, I was quite impressed that oh, there's a real change of atmosphere here. There's 60,000 people here. People <laughs> seem like they want to be here. The atmosphere was good. People were singing. People were smiling. People were laughing. But then after 10 minutes everyone was groaning again and after 30 minutes everyone was shouting again and after 60 minutes everyone was whistling again I felt so sorry for Souza and there was um, I can't remember where he's from (coughs) his name was Michael Wagner he was a German guy I assume sitting beside me and when Souza kicked one of the crosses out of play behind the goal he he just turned to me and said you have to feel sorry for this guy right because every time he kicks the ball wrong you can see the curva running towards the front, hurling abuse at him, and the whole stadium starts whistling. And it's like, yeah, but it's just Milan, isn't it? It's just, it's just how it is. And if you're not Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you get whistled, basically. And I just wonder how long is it gonna last before the Ibrahimovic makeup wears off because he's been brought in <coughs> to to give off this feel good factor, right? To to make everything look better than it is again. And in his debut, they were whistled off the pitch at the end of the game. And You just wonder, two more weeks of this, people being positive, and then it just turns back to toxicity again?
4: Well, it will probably look that way. Uh, Ultimately, results are the main um, criteria to judge things. So depending on who they're playing in the next few weeks. uh, I think Milan, you know, they just got to get results on the board and maybe Zlatan, he might provide the odd goal, especially if it's one for the highlights rule. But again, I think uh, what it seems that the Milan board, they're trying to use this move as a panacea to all their problems. Uh, Zlatan, he might look good in front of the cameras. He might say some funny things in front of the press. And like I said, he might be able to score that spectacular goal here and there. But even if Milan do manage to rise up the table, uh, there are still plenty of other problems on the field and off the field that need to be addressed. And they haven't been addressed accordingly.
3: No, they haven't. Anyway, enough, 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 Milan. The other game I was at this weekend was up in Bradshaw, where Lazio left it late again, but they always leave it late. So, never write a match report about Lazio until the final whistle goes. Or else write before they score, like I did this weekend. Because Lazio scored in stoppage time. It's the 12th time they've scored in the last 15 minutes of games this season. The 6th time they've scored in stoppage time this season. To complete a turnaround, they went 1-0 Brescia to Mario Balotelli. Gio Mobile scored a penalty and then he scored a stoppage time winner. Lazio, they're... Six points off, both Inter and Juve. They have a game in hand. I know we kind of touched on it in the last part of the year, in 2019, but is it possible that Lazio could kind of be knocking on the door by the end of January? And then if they're there at the end of January, could they be there at the end of February? Because they look like they're the real deal.
0: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
4: I was initially skeptical about Lazio threatening for the title, but the more they get these kind of results, I think it could be a slight possibility. They did defeat Brescia and it was in Brescia, but they were missing Lucas Labor and they had to use Mar- Marco Parolo as a defensive midfielder, so that didn't help their cause. And uh, Joaquin Correa had to play a bit deeper than usual. Immobile and Caicedo were the main attacking partnership and although Immobile got the two goals, they were probably his only two contributions to the game. So if... Uh, Lazio can get these wins without the key components looking outstanding. I think that's a, a very good sign for them going forward and how they're progressing. It goes to show that they don't have to play the uh, exciting counter-attacking football that they were known for a couple of years ago. And another player that was missing for them too, actually, was Luis Alberto. So Leiva and Alberto missing, and they still get a win, I think, uh, Lazio fans can be happy with that. And also, Simone Inzaghi as a coach that he doesn't have to worry too much if a key player is missing.
3: Yeah, it's, it's really reassuring. It must be quite comforting for him as well. But they rounded it out. Um, Brescia were actually, funnily enough, better with 10 men than they were with 11. And they played most of the game with 10 men. But there, Mario Balotelli um, did report some racist abuse sadly, from the Lazio fans during this game. It seemed to happen on a couple of occasions. Having been there, there were a couple of instances that were quite curious, because Balotelli was being booed and whistled from kickoff by the Lazio fans, and I made the point of saying on Twitter, they're only whistling him. They weren't doing it to any other Brescia player. Um, And there were a couple of times where it seemed as though there were some monkey chants coming from the Lazio end, but The Brescia fans responded every time by just whistling really loudly. So it was hard to identify what was going on. But there were a couple of occasions where it really did sound like a minority of the away fans were engaging in monkey chants. And after one of the incidents, Balotelli spoke to the referee and the referee gestured something to the side of the pitch. The game was never stopped. I've seen a few people reporting that the game was temporarily stopped. That's completely false. It wasn't stopped whatsoever. But the announcement was made, um, discriminatory chance won't be tolerated, blah de blah de, blah And what worries me is after this, you see, if you go onto any of the stories that have reported the, the alleged racist abuse, you see Lazio fans, the same few Lazio fans, I should say, um, responding to the story saying, there was no racism, there was no racism, there was no racism. I mean, there was. I heard it. Balotelli heard it. Balotelli reported it to the referee. I- I'm absolutely sick of this because it happened to me in in Florence earlier this season, where, bluntly, Fiorentina against Lazio, a few Fiorentina fans did monkey noises. I tweeted it, and people said, "You, you're lying. There's, there's no racism." And we- we're also seeing it in England, right, with Anthony Rodiger, who reported racist abuse away to Spurs. An investigation has been carried out, inconclusive. So they said they can't prove that there is racism. So people now assume that Rudiger is lying because they couldn't prove that there is racism. It's just, it's a mess and it's a little bit depressing, you know. When when people would basically accuse Balotelli of inventing this, when I go to a game every weekend and I hear it most weekends, he's not inventing it. It's happening. Something needs to happen in response to it happening. Was it's, it's ridiculous? But look, we've we've discussed this enough times this season that I, I'm just going to move on because, to be honest with you, Vito, I, I can't be bothered talking about it again. Um, Roma are in fourth, but they lost two nil to Torino. Andrea Bellotti was excellent, and he scored twice.
4: Yes, uh, he's he scored one goal from the penalty spot, and the goal he scored before halftime from open play was a rather splendid strike as well. Uh, overall, I thought his game was fantastic, but uh, with some of the players that ended up scoring doubles this week, uh, unfortunately I had to leave him out on my team at the week, so I think he can consider himself very unlucky, but Torino in general I thought played a very good game. Uh, Bellotti scored the goals, but I thought his work ethic, his positional play was fantastic. He would run directly at defenders. So I think he was uh, great in his forward play, but it was also well-supported. Although Torino played on the counter-attack and the focus was more or less to nullify Roma, I thought the way they brought the ball out of defence was very good. And uh, also they... Did it without Christian Ansaldi, who has been an important part of the attacking players or attacking movements this season.
3: Elsewhere, Spal. Oh, Spal, this is a big one. They played Verona at home and they lost 2-0. That's quite a worrying result for Spal, but I still think they'll be okay. I think I might be crazy and still thinking that, but losing 2-0 at home to Alas Verona, that's it's not good, is it?
4: No, no, it isn't. I would have thought that this game would have been considered a six-pointer, but when you consider how Hellas Verona have been this season, they haven't been too bad. They've been mid-table or close to it, and I think one of the main problems, Verona, is that they don't take enough shots or they don't convert as much. But I was just glad that uh, Gianpaolo Pazzini was brought back into the starting lineup, and even at around 35 years old, can still put the ball in the back of the net I reckon Verona do need his experience though because it's a young team, they do play a decent brand of football when they aren't in the defensive show like in the Inter game uh, a few weeks back, a few months back but uh, uh, I do think they're missing that killer touch in the penalty box and at least uh, with Pazzini, he scored with that splendid header after that Lazovic cross so I'm happy for him
3: yeah, I quite Still like my faves. Yeah, me too. I don't really know why either. Because I've never thought he was very good. But I've always quite liked Pazzini. And there's no logic behind it. It's just one of those things. Genoa beat Sassuolo 2 1. Domenico Brady was sent off. Genoa were lucky not to get down to 10 men themselves here, though.
4: Well, I reckon Genoa had lots of luck in this game. Uh, I think one of the most farcical decisions you could see this season. Was Genoa getting a penalty in the first place? Uh, Antonio Sanabia performed a turn in the box, and the way Pedro Obami Obiang ran into him, um, yeah, for some reason they thought it was a foul in the penalty area. Um, the ref, in hindsight, was a fool to give the penalty, and I was surprised VAR was not consulted because if you look at all the different angles, it did not look like that Obiang had made a trip. On Sanabria whatsoever, so they were very lucky in that regard. And uh, you could argue with the Juricic goal that was disallowed. Okay, the ball all right, bounced off his hand, but uh, I think it just happened so quick. So yeah, That's
3: I don't one of think those Juricic really much. To frustrating applications of this the handball law, right? Um, yeah, the goaler scoring the ball touches the player's hand in any way, it can't be good. Which I, I'm not. Mm a big fan of... Udinese beat Lecce in Lecce, 1-0, and it was a late, late Rodrigo of the power goal. He's coming good. Two big goals in two games for them. and They're two big wins for Udinese as well, right? Because we all kind of expected them to be battling around the relegation zone. and While they're not exactly soaring, they are currently seven points clear of it. <laughs> they're only one point behind Milan, so... They should be all right. At this
4: stage, it's looking pretty good for Udinese. And the hilarious thing I keep hearing is that uh, the current caretaker coach, look, i got he doesn't want the job full-time. So basically, Udinese are getting results with a guy that doesn't really want the job. So <laughs> for the teams below them who have proper coaches or full-time coaches, yeah, it's a bit concerning.
3: Sorry, I'm just kind of amazed that Udinese have one point fewer than Milan. That's that's unbelievable, <laughs> but probably not that unbelievable given how poor Milan have been all season. But look, uh, we're going to end it there because I'm struggling to speak for more than 30 seconds without coughing into the microphone. We've gotten through it all. Is there anything you want to add that I've missed out on, Vito?
4: Uh, probably two things. We managed to talk about uh, Parma, Atalanta and Juventus, and uh, we didn't talk about Dejan Kulusevski signing for Juventus.
3: Uh, good, good. Thank you. Um, no, we didn't talk about that. And I'm, I am i was devastated when I heard this news. I was still back at home, and I had a little bit of a tantrum, and no one could quite understand why, because no one cares about Parma and a 19-year-old who's on loan from Atalanta, but I I thought he was just gonna leave and go straight to Juve, but no, he's staying in Palma until the end of the season, thankfully. Um, but it's a strange move at this point of his career. He's going for 35 million euro plus plus add-ons, plus bonuses and all that. So big profit for Atalanta again, but I, I'm I'm disappointed because we've seen this with Juve before. Look at Federico Benadeschi. They sign players with a lot of promise and they can stagnate. But, I don't know. It's Obviously, I'm not a scout, right? So, I don't know how to judge players and how they might develop and stuff. But, from everything I've seen from Kulusevsky this season, if he's managed correctly, he will be an elite player. Like, a really, really elite player. Because he's got everything. He's I like, compared him to Kevin De Bruyne. I think it might have been on the podcast or it might have been on his tweet. I can't remember. But, I've been talking about him every week this season and it's a little bit disappointing that he's going to go to Juve and probably not play all that much. But there you go. What are your thoughts on that?
4: For me, I think it's uh, more or less an incentive for for Juve to probably sell Bernardeschi at the end of the season because I don't think he's really been that impressive to really justify a starting berth in that Juventus team and in the last month in particular He's not featured as much, so I think his your career will eventually be cut short. And Douglas Costa is also a player that doesn't play a lot because of the injuries he's had. So, if he was fitter, you'd think he'd be utilizable. But um, unfortunately, he can't get a proper crack at it. So, I think well, things are going good for Kulisevsky if he can maintain it uh, this form. I think yeah. Maybe at Juve, he might do well there. And a coach like Sarri, I think, would be ideal for his development because of his skill set and also the football that Sarri wants to play. If Juve still had Allegri, I think it'd be a definite no no because he hasn't really developed play since his Coyote days.
3: Mm. Well, he, Kulosevsky, while well, he was still, I think it was while well, he was still at Parma, spoke about how he liked playing this one and two touch football. So, that suits Sari's game, right? But what was also yeah. funny is that he was asked to choose between Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi. and Obviously, he's he's intelligent, so he, he chose Leo Messi. And then two days later, he's, he's signing for Juve, where if he's asked that question in a year, you know he'll probably say Cristiano Ronaldo because he's probably going to be contractually obliged to say that now. But, <laughs> but there you go. Uh, what was the other thing you wanted to raise?
4: Oh... Uh, it's not Serie, it's actually Seria B. The iconic Sergio Cosmi has made a return to Perugia after nearly sixteen years. Uh, I
3: saw this. This is this is amazing.
4: Sixteen years. Yeah,
3: two thousand four. Right. Well, tell people why he's iconic.
4: Well, he was there during Perugia's last uh, Serie A stint. Um, he was there. I think, for about three or four years. And what's outstanding for him is, well, you think of uh, Beppe Yakini with his baseball cap and you think of Antonio Conte and his shouting on the touchline. Mould those two into one coach, you get Sergio Cosme. The <laughs> guy is a nutter, but he's a lovable nutter. He's so fun. he's so passionate, and he really loves to rev up his players. And during his time at Perugia, they had a few you know, hidden gems that came through, a few late bloomers. So, yeah, interesting times during his days at Perugia. I mean, Fabio Grosso was there. He was one player. And um, from an Australian point of view, Zelko Kalat, he played there. Uh, Zizis Brizas, a Greek striker, um, he was uh, in the Euro 2004 squad for Greece when they won it. And Fabrizio Mikuli had a lone spell there. So, yeah, quite a few players they played under Cosme and uh, they even qualified for the UEFA Cup through the Intertoto Cup, which was one of those little Mickey Mouse tournaments. So, yeah, they had some memories there under Cosme. So, doing City of B now. And, yeah, it's quite surprising that a club would turn to an old face after so many years because sometimes we've seen it at. No, no, Cagliari to a degree, but mostly Palermo and Genoa. You mm. see it once every six months or so, especially with Ballardini and Juric at Genoa. But, yeah, for a club to turn back to a coach after so long, and, you know, it's different management. The club has risen back up after bankruptcy. So it's rather interesting but bizarre at the same time.
3: Yeah, it is. And they're, they're actually really real possibilities of getting into the playoff places as well, because yeah, yeah. they're eight on 27 points, and <laughs> Virtus Tela are 4th on 29 points, so Serie B is doing its usual thing of being really, really tight down there, except for at the top, because Benevento are 12 points clear Benevento are coming back they're coming back, and I'm very, very happy to see it, I might take a trip down there you know, get down to Campania, have some pizza Asphaltella, it'll just be a great time. Taking an mm. Apple game and a Benevento game in the same weekend, be good. But anyway, that's us. Vito, we've made it through alone. Um, yes. Thank you very much for joining me. Hopefully, things down your way start to take a turn for the better, sooner or later. Yeah, so too, preferably thank sooner. You. But yeah, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com Read everything we write. Listen to our other podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast and. We'll be back again next week with, with someone else, probably. So, goodbye. Bye
0: bye. No one kicks the football to one. Slide down as he's sliding down. When you jump, he's on the run. Slide down as he's sliding down. He's on Today's a we-